Hey guys, I'm Lena Abujamra and I want to welcome you back to another episode of our Hope Podcast. This is our last episode of the season. Uh, we are excited about all that God has done in the last few weeks. I think we've had a great season. We're going to end with a message that I gave not long ago at a church in Elgin. Uh, it is a critical message in my opinion. In fact, if you are very distracted right now, if you feel like the last thing you have time for is a 30-minute message, then I promise you, you need this more than you think you do. I've called the message the four most dangerous words in the New Testament. So go ahead, lean in, listen up. And let's ask God to work deeply in our hearts, uh, drawing us closer to Him and igniting passion in our souls for Jesus. We're going to open our Bibles, if you've got your Bibles, to Luke chapter 22. And uh, I'm going to talk to you this morning about something that God has been working on my heart in and through. And as I've had opportunity to go all over the United States in the last few months and speak on what God is doing in the church and how he um, is stirring and what's happening in our country. I started talking about that. I'm pretty excited about this because I see this happening, what I'm going to talk about in a minute. And so I love what has happened in the worship up until now, but it is a bit of a warning. You know, we're the week before Thanksgiving. We're going to feel great next week on because we're going to give thanks, and then we're going to move into Advent, and we're going to move into celebrating all that God has done in our lives, and we're going to look forward to, again, remember the birth of Christ and all that comes with that. But for a moment today, I want us to stop and look at the four most dangerous words for the Christian. I said in the New Testament, I'd actually say in the whole Bible. And so if you came sort of hoping for, you know, feel good message, your life is going to be great. God is at work in your life. Yes, he is. Your life is, is already great in Christ. But I want to raise your eyes to a warning today, a warning that I believe God would uh, shake us up with. What are the four most dangerous words in the New Testament? And uh, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read you in a moment verses 54 through 62, and I'm going to give you those words. Uh, let me go ahead and read God's word if you've made your way there. Luke 22, verses 54 says this. This is, by the way, just to bring you up to speed, the, uh, uh, the crucifixion is coming up. Jesus is about to uh, go to the cross, and he has spent the night in prayer. And, and now we see Peter's perspective on this, and this is written by Luke. And he recalls this. Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter, and you can underline this if you want, was following at a distance. The four most dangerous words in the Bible for us who follow Jesus, if you're here and you don't follow Jesus yet, I pray that this morning will be the day where you give your life to the King of Kings who we've been singing about. But the four most dangerous words are those followed at a distance. Followed at a distance. We'll get back to that, but let me keep reading here. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he, Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another, so there's time enough for him to consider what's happening. And you'll see in a second that uh, this should have been a wake-up call already, but, uh, but after an, hour, an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And Jesus, or and the Lord, sorry, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And, and, and verse 62 is, you can feel the pain of this. And he went out and wept bitterly. A year ago, uh, around this time of the year, maybe a little bit later, I, uh, actually it was closer to, to the New Year's, and many of you know what we do at the New Year's. For me, I was going to clean my closet uh, and so part of that was trying on what was going to go and what was going to come. And I had this wake-up call. I, uh, I realized that some of the pants that I had worn before, anyone can say amen in a minute, didn't fit. All right? And so I, that was a big wake-up call for me. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm in my mid-40s and now a little bit more than mid-40s. And I thought, you know, I'm a doctor. I know what happens. And so I thought, I'm in trouble if I continue on this thread. So I, I thought, what am I going to do? I went on Facebook and I took a poll. What diet should I do? Yeah, no, I didn't say, do I look like I've gained weight? I just said, that's dangerous on Facebook, right? <laughs> you don't ask anyone's opinion. But I said, well, what are the good diets? And someone mentioned the keto, and I started hearing a lot about the keto. And so starting on January 1st, I started the keto diet. Now, if you have done any diets, this is, the idea isn't just to do it short term, but to transition so that what that is, and you don't need to know a whole lot about it, but just to know that it is a low-carb or a no-carb diet. And so it went great, and after a couple of weeks, I started seeing some obvious results. And I, you know, it wasn't like anything dramatic, but enough that I could tell I didn't have to get rid of all of those pants. And, and about six months went by, and people now, because it became a public thing, I talked about it a bit on Facebook, and now I'd see people, and they'd ask me the obvious questions, are you still on the keto? And I said, yes, and I was. And then summer came along, and you sort of get in a steady state, and you get comfortable, and now everything fits, and you feel pretty good. And, and I was going to go on vacation with my family. And my nephew's five. By the way, he wants to be a, 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 a singer in church. That's his lifelong dream. Some kids want to grow up and be firemen or doctors. I love my nephew Samuel. He wants to be a church singer. I thought he would love the worship here. In fact, I thought I wish I'd brought him with me, but... But, but nonetheless, he uh, said, how are we going to go on vacation? You're on, and he calls it uh, taquito. I always think he's saying taquitos. And so, and he says, I know you can't eat this. How are we going to have ice cream? And says, so, so said, I'm going to make an exception. Ice cream is going to be part of taquito in, in that vacation. And so sure enough, we ate our share of ice cream. And, and then I got home, and, 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 and as you might imagine, I was fine maybe for a few days. And then it wasn't long before I said, well, you know, what's another little ice cream? And then I'd see people, and they'd say, are you on the keto? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm on the keto. Now, if you know much about that diet, you can't sort of be on it. You're either on it or you're not. And so what was, it's okay, I can have a little ice cream. Turn, I still was pretty good. I'm not like all that, like sell out. Like I still wouldn't eat bread. But I noticed that, you know, a little rice with sushi was okay. Oh, it's okay. That's another little exception. And, 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 and then I went out of town for a conference, and, and then there were the chocolates. And you know, what's a little piece of chocolate? I mean, it's small. doesn't really matter. What's another three of them? Not a big deal. And, 
before I knew it, I was a person who said that I was on a keto, but there was nothing in my life, certainly if you did a urinalysis, you would realize she is not in keto. She's not on a keto. She might say that she is, but she's not. So I'm living this illusion of saying I'm something, but I'm not. The four most dangerous words in the scriptures for us Christians are followed at a distance because what can start off as this concept of I'm all in. Have you ever met a believer in Christ who says, man, man, I'm, I'm just sort of, uh, sort of in. If you meet somebody who's given their life to Jesus recently, they are all in. It's like a pool and you just jump in and you can't be like, well, my leg is still out. No, the whole thing, you're in and you're so in. And if you've met any new believers, you can't get them to shut up about Jesus. Praise God for that. But slowly what happens in the Christian life is that we tend to get to this experience where we're following at a distance. First it's one thing, then it's the other, and it's the other. And so we're going to look at how that played out in the life of Peter so that at the beginning of the reading, we saw how he followed at a distance and from there everything falls apart for him. And so the first thought, I want to give you four, four thoughts before we move on to communion and the end of the service. Number one, following Jesus at a distance is something you never expected you will do. Can I put this up there? Some people tell me I speak fast. I don't think so. <laughs> my mom listens to my podcast and she plays them at half speed. So you can record the message and then y'all can listen to it later at half speed and be like, oh, now I know what she meant. But following at Jesus at a distance is something you never expect you will do. So looking again at the, the word of God and we're here to draw these application points. We're here to draw lessons from the scriptures which are meant to encourage us, to teach us, to convict us and to change us. This is the holy word of God. And so you look at a passage like this, you say, how did Peter get to this point? Well, it wasn't that shocking, but, but he never in his life thought that he would do that. In fact, what is astounding about the story of Peter is that he went as far as telling Jesus, Jesus, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. I'll never watch that. I'll never marry him. I'll never... I was looking through the word of God yesterday and and I noticed that not once in a gospel, not just in Matthew or Mark or Luke, but in all four gospels, Matthew 26, 30, Mark chapter 14, John chapter 13, and in Luke chapter 22, earlier on, we see Peter vehemently saying, I'll never do that. In fact, all of y'all may do it, but I'll not do it. He was so on fire for the Lord, raises his hands in worship, prophesying, whatever you, your picture of all in, that was Peter. And he just thought, man, not me. But a little ice cream on vacation, a little rice with the sushi. The problem with us is that most of us are too proud to admit that we might drift See, what is drift? What is, what's so dangerous about drifting? I looked up a definition of drift, and it is the continuous, slow movement from one place to another. The best example I have, I hang out with my nephew Sam all the time. He, I am his hero, best friend, 
favorite person on the planet. If he, if I'm, he, he won't talk to me if I leave town. Like he's so into me. He's the only human on the planet. So I, well, I'm gonna just enjoy it until he turns ten and he stops. But, but he's five. And so now he, and and I'm, I'm telling you, yesterday played out again. I'm at Target. We're looking at the ornaments, and I'm like. Stay in my line of vision. He does not understand that. Like, he is so verbal, he can read like a 10-year-old, but he does not understand that sentence. And so first, and you moms know, you're standing here, and they're here. Next thing you know, they're there. You can still see them, but next thing you know, you're calling them out. Samuel, stay here. And they answer. Next thing you know, they don't answer. And next thing you know, they're on some image picture on a wall, missing child, which is everybody's nightmare. So how did you get to that? Well, it's a slow movement away from where you're supposed to be. Nobody wakes up and says, when I grow up, I receive Jesus. And when I grow up, I'm going to deny Jesus. No one says that. I see most of us are too proud to admit like Peter, we think we are so much more able and godly and strong than our hearts really are. And we'll get to that in a second. Most of us are too distracted to pay attention to what Jesus says. You say, what does that mean? Well, well, Peter and Jesus had a conversation where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And you can go back to these verses. You see chapters 22, verses 31. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so Peter's response is, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And you see that same encounter in all of these accounts where, where Peter says something and God says, no, you're, you're, Jesus is God. He says, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And, and, and Peter is too distracted to hear it so that we read it in today's era and we know the story and we read it and and the first time the servant girl comes you go dude wake up we heard it we knew this was going to happen but the second time and then it says an hour later and you're like but but jesus told you now now i get that that things are already like there's certain things that god has already ordained there was a reason for i get that but practically speaking shouldn't peter have sat there and thought oh Wait, 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 God, I see it, I see it. But he doesn't because he's so distracted. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, that says this to us modern-day Christians. Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You look at what's happening across evangelical, Bible-believing, Jesus-following churches in the United States, and you see a movement away from God. You say, how, how, how are they believing this? Perhaps they stopped paying close attention to what they had heard. So that it didn't start so dramatic, but little by little by little by little, you look at some churches and you go, man, I don't even recognize the Spirit of God here. So that now the world looks at Christians and we're a mockery. Following Jesus at a distance is something you never expect you will do. You, you say, what else? What else? Well, well, here, four most dangerous words in the New Testament followed at a distance. And as we go through these, consider where you're at with the decisions that you're making in your life. 
It's easy to sing for 30 minutes and raise your hands and declare that God is good. But how are you really aligning in the things that you have heard, that your pastor has taught you, that you've studied in small group, that you knew in the word of God, you grew up, the kids were just dismissed to Sunday school. They're hearing things the five-year-old I hang out with knows the word of God. So how do we go from that to churches that don't even look like anything near a New Testament church? Here's the second, following Jesus at a distance ultimately reveals what's really in your heart. The more you drift away, so you say, well, what, what, what was happening to Peter? Well, very simply, you see the verses that I read, a pattern of choosing his own comfort over what's right. It's a cold night, there's a fire burning. Peter could have gone closer to to the cross, John did. John was close when Jesus looked down and saw his mother and looked at John and says, John, you take care of her. And, and we know that all the disciples weren't where they were supposed to be. John was the closest of being faithful. Of course, he was the beloved of Jesus. They were all loved by the Lord, but John understood himself to be beloved. And by the way, that's a small note. Jesus loves us all. But the Christian who's living in victory is the one who is confident of God's love on his life. And the Christian who drifts away is the one who sort of forgets and goes, well, I don't know. He might love you. Your business is working out. He might love you. Your marriage is good. He might love you because you're serving. But I don't know if he really loves me because you've got your list of stuff. And John refers to himself over and over and over again. Even in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Beloved, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And so he's near, but Peter is far. And what does Peter care about? Well, he's cold. And so he's warming himself by the fire. I jotted these notes down as we see what Peter does and that trend, that that movement away, followed at a distance, followed by these steps that lead to finally his denial. Number one, we we want for personal comfort more than we long for God's purposes in our life. Oh, you'll go on a mission trip because it's a week. You know, you're not going to go be a missionary, though. Don't confuse me with that person. You'll give 10%, but no more. You'll show up to church on Sunday, but, but, but don't, don't, don't force it when I've got other priorities and things to do. And, and your life is centered around you and your comfort rather than seeing what the kingdom of God is doing and moving there. We want for acceptance and affirmation more than we long for the Father's good pleasure. Peter sacrifices this moment for what? For acceptance by a servant girl. We are living in a culture where we will do more for likes and follows and viral stuff. Some of you are a little on the older side in this room, but you pick those 20-year-olds and under, and I'm telling you, they are sacrificing everything for the sake of a few likes of people that they'll never meet, that they'll never know, who, who don't frankly care much about them. But no need to pick on the millennials. I'm in my mid-40s, a little older than that, but we're not counting. (laughs) And then I'm telling you, you get stuck in it. You'll put a picture, and then you're like, oh, good, everybody likes that, and you feel good about yourself for a minute. 
And then, and then you don't. If you're single, Easter is the worst social media day of all times because every family in the planet who is Christian has their picture of their family, and you're like, what is wrong with me? And it's, we're controlled by what other people will say about us. People that you might have dated 20 years ago who you don't even like. But all of a sudden, that little click of a button will destroy your faith if you let it. See, 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 what, the problem, and, and, and what does that have to do with following Jesus at the distance? The problem that I see right now is that most of us want to be in God's word. Most of us want to have an intimate abiding presence of the Lord in our life, but we're not doing what it takes to have it. So we wake up in the morning and we turn our phones on and we look at the news and we look at social media and by the time it's time to, oh, I got to do my devotions now. Well, I can't because I'm out of time. I got to be at work. And so we don't even, it's that ice cream cone in the summer. It's that bit of sushi where you're like, yeah, it's okay. I missed it. God doesn't judge us by how many minutes we spend time with. And you feel good for a moment. And and he doesn't. He doesn't judge us by how many minutes we spend with him. But the less you focus on him, the more distracted we are with our culture. Before we know it, we are drifting. We're checking out the chocolates when Jesus is in the ornaments. You can't even see him, and if you're lucky enough, you notice it, and you panic, and sometimes my nephew will do that, and he'll holler, Lena, Lena, where are you? And it's the best cry in the world, because I know for a minute that he's noticed, and then I know where he is. But we're too distracted to notice. We want for temporary satisfaction more than we long for eternal reward. We want to feel good now. Think about all besetting sin. What is at the root of it? It is a desire for temporary comfort. Everybody knows addiction will kill you. Everybody knows certain patterns are going to kill you. But why do we do it? Because it feels good in the moment. And so we're willing to sacrifice our eternal reward, our eternal joy for that moment that leaves us empty, a shell of ourselves. We want to be great. Peter wanted to be great. He says, man, all the other disciples will fail, but not me. He wanted greatness when God wants us to be dependent, dependent, dependent. There's a difference. A heart that is dependent is a heart that recognizes I cannot do this on my own. Jesus, you think I'm going to fall? I believe you. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to depend on you in the moment and I'm going to do the things that we hear like Hebrews 2 wants us. And your posture is different. So following at a distance is something you never expected you will do. Following at a distance ultimately reveals what's really in your heart. Is it a love of self or is it a desire for more of God in your life? And thirdly, following Jesus at a distance will take you places you never expected you would go. You say, where did Peter go? Well, the first thing we see is a place of regret. Actually, before that, we see a place of deep pain. So how can you tell just a small, small little verse? Verse 62, the Bible tells us that Peter went out and he did what? He wept bitterly. He he knew what had happened. This was no, oh, I didn't even notice. I just denied Jesus. Didn't see that coming. 
No, no, he knew. Jesus had warned him. He had denied what God said he would do. He had thought himself able to manage life on his own. And now he's on his face. And by God's grace, instead of being like, okay, actually he does. He says, I'm done. So how do we know that? Well, in John chapter 21, we see Peter pack up his boat and go out on a boat. Why? Because he's escaping the reality of what just happened and avoiding everything related to this Christianity thing that somebody had promised him who now is on a cross and dead. And even though he's seen that the tomb is empty, he still doesn't. And maybe he's filled with shame and regret. And say, man, did you see that coming, Peter? Not for a minute. The danger of drifting is that it always takes you to the place of regret. It will always take you to a place of deep pain. You might think I can manage it, but eventually it will take you to a place where you're not even in the game. This is happening now. Some of you watched that viral video that went out a couple of weeks ago. I went to a conference and had a chance to do a little video talking about church wounds and church hurt. And, and you don't have to be hurt by a church. You can be hurt by other Christians. You can be hurt by family members, by exes, you name it. We get in places where our hurt will become so heavy that instead of running to Jesus, we We just drift. I'm not going to go to church this week. Do you know who goes to that church? I'm not going to go to small group. Has anybody told you about that leader? We have our lists. And you might be justified in a sense. You have been wronged and you were sinned against. Like I'm not not saying it excuses the wrong, but your conclusion and the result of it is like, I'm not going there. And so now instead of running to the places where you can get healing... You drift. In the last nine months since some of the church hurt in this city has taken place, I've met men and women in varying degrees of drift. Five, ten years ago, they would have never thought that would be them. Now, some of them deny being Christian. They're, they're full out. I don't even believe this anymore. Others of them are sort of in the middle. They're like, I sort of still believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the church. Well, that's illogical because the church is the body of Jesus. You can't believe in the head and not in the body. That's a decapitated thing. You never expect it will be you. You sit in front of Jesus, not me, never. Don't you see? It's Sunday morning. I'm here. I prophesied in church. King Saul, what a great example of someone who was chosen by God. Had everything going for him in his Christian walk. And ended up going to a point of no return. Why? Well, because he failed in this last point. So what is it? Here it is. This is probably the most important point of this message. Following Jesus at a distance, just to review will take you places you never expected you will go, will reveal what's in your heart, will, uh, uh, t- it will, 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 is something you never expected you will do. That was point number one. And number four, following Jesus at a distance does not have to be the end of your story. You might be sitting here today. You came to church physically. You're here. And maybe you're here every single Sunday. So it looks to everybody watching that you're fine. But inside, you know yourself. Listen, we've all been there. This isn't unique. You're like, you're like they can't see. You're right. We can't see. But God knows your heart. I've sat through ample services where I looked perfect on the outside. I've spoken. Well, maybe not perfect, but, you know, but, but, but keto perfect. And, and with a little rice and a little. And, and, and inside, you know. I've even taught. 
knowing what was in my heart. Maybe that's you today. Say, where's the hope? It's too late for me. No, no, it's not. I want you to turn to John chapter 21 if you've got your Bibles. That's the fourth gospel. And I want to pick up where Peter goes. He weeps bitterly. He's in a place of self-pity. He's in a place of bitterness maybe. He's in a place of shame. He's in a place of, of wishing he could take back time, but you can't. Maybe you're the abused today, or, the, or maybe you are the abuser. Whatever it is, God's grace is for both of us. So here's Peter now. He, he, he's like, I'm giving up. I'm going to go back to fishing. Why am I even trying this ministry thing? This church thing didn't work out. I don't even know where Jesus is. So he takes his boat, and he's influenced others. He's not in this alone. So they're all out fishing, and you can feel the dismay. In chapter 21, it says in verse 3 that Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Not for men, mind you. He's going to fish for fish. And, and, and they said to him, we will go with you. And remember why that is important, because Peter was told by Jesus, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he left his nets back in the early portion of Mark in the Gospels. And so Peter had literally left everything, his father's business. He had turned around and says, Jesus, I'm all in. No turning back, no turning back. And now he's like, no, man, I'm back to fishing. He finds his old boat. He, he, he takes it out into the water, and, and they went out and got into the boat. But that night, and it is no surprise because their story's not over, that night they caught nothing. And it is the greatest blessing. It is the greatest grace because of what's about to happen. The, Tim, the worship leader, was just telling us this very thing. You're in your wilderness, and you think, man, what could happen in the wilderness? Everything can happen in the wilderness. The entire Old Testament is the people of Israel in the wilderness and God working in them and transforming them and drawing them back to him and, and, and letting them understand who he is indeed, not what they thought he was, but a God of steadfast love and compassion. But my story in Thrive, I tell my story a bit more, how my call to ministry happened, and it's my story of singleness, but in it I talk about what led to all of that, and, 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 and in it I talk about the verse that was so life-changing to me, and it's in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, a little-known passage. Most people don't go around quoting Hosea 2, 14. You might hear John three sixteen, but not Hosea 2, 14, and in it, God says about the people of Israel that he allures them into the wilderness, and there he turns the valley of trouble into a place of hope it's awesome it's this incredible news this is why we're here today we know what we are and we need a savior and so you go you, you go well, 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 well we're trying to get God's attention no we heard it from Tim we're not we already have his attention and so we see Jesus you see just as the day was breaking now they're double depressed their Christian life didn't work out their work life isn't working out and they're coming in and they're tired and and just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And have you noticed how Jesus and, and God in the Old Testament, you see in, in Genesis chapter 3, how he has such an uncanny ability to ask the most obvious questions to us? Adam and Eve were told they sinned, they ate the fruit, and we're told they're hiding and God shows up who can see everything. He knows everything, you know, he's everywhere. And he shows up and he says, uh, Adam, Eve, where are you? As if. And so he says, do you have any fish? Uh, the point isn't to get an answer. The point is to wake us up. 
Oh, wait, wait a second, I, I've drifted. I, I'm, I'm not where I thought I would be. My life is a mess, Lord. I've no fish. And, 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 and they don't know him yet. He hasn't opened their eyes, but they, they answer no. And, and, and what a blessed no, because if they had caught, I think about it all the time, what if they had caught in a small amount? Cotton is not a word caught, but I was talking fast, and that's one of the things that happens. And so what if they had, what if they had caught 10 fish? Most of us would have been sufficed with that. And if a stranger had come to us and said, have you caught any fish? We'd have been like, yep, yep, we're good. I got it. I'm good. Okay, not a big feast, but I'm good. But the biggest grace is that they are at the bottom of the pit. They have nothing. It's the perfect place to have an encounter with the Savior. If you are here this morning and you are at your depleted state emotionally, physically, financially, you are in a perfect place to meet the living God. Jesus does the same thing he did in Luke chapter 5, the same miracle. Nothing has changed. It's like he's reminding Peter of just how much he loves him. And he does it by taking him back to the, the early days when, when Peter was in love with the Lord and when Peter was all in and when Peter was excited about everything. And he, he wasn't in a place where he was a miserable mess. And, and so he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, again, John is writing here, and he sees himself as loved by God. Not like God loves just John. He loves them all, but this man sees that. And now he answers. He looks to Peter, and he says, it is the Lord. And Simon is, I imagine, partly excited and partly horrified. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Some commentaries say he was ashamed, and that doesn't stop Jesus. In fact, what does Jesus do? It says when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place in verse 9 of John 21 with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So there's 153 fish, we're told in this passage. And then I love it, verse 11, he, it says, So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now we go to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, not to Timothy, not to Andrew, not, Timothy wasn't a disciple yet, but not even to John. He doesn't sit with John and say, John, well done. Well done, son. You passed the test. You, you understood. You were next to my mom, and well done. For the past days, you've been taking care of my mom. You have delivered well. Well done, John. That is not the story that John tells. The story that John tells is a Savior who finds the man who is broken and ashamed and failing and heart devastated, who thought he loved Jesus, and yet life showed that he wasn't as excited about Jesus, as he said he was, he really wanted his own stuff to flourish. And Jesus looks him in the eyes. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He does that three times. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what true follower of Jesus hasn't in their moment of failure and defeat, though they 
we feel bad about so many things in those moments, but how many of us understand that, that what breaks us the most is that we really do love him? We just can't, can't seem to get it. Let me remind you of this. Jesus is never surprised by our drifting. Back in Luke 22, in the verses where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me, but that's okay. Satan has tried to sift you, but I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to strengthen the brothers. You see, Jesus understands that we are human. We think we're not. We think we're better than that. But Jesus knows us. He knows that we are dust. He remembers it. And despite that, he has died for all of our sins. Remember, that's the message of Romans. That's the message of this book. It's not that, that, that we need a friend. He didn't die so we can have a companion. That is just a, a benefit. That is just a side effect. But he died because we need a savior. He died because we are broken and lost in our sin. And only Jesus can pay the price for our sins so that we can stand in full righteousness. We can stand unashamed no matter what happened last night. That's the good news of the gospel. Not that I have to try harder. In fact, it's all the conversation is not about doing. It is about the heart condition. Do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep. Which if you look at Luke 22 is strengthen the brothers. How? By the very story. How many times have I taught on this passage and not been filled up with hope? God, you love me despite me. God, you still want me to be part of your kingdom despite knowing and still falling. And on and on the lessons of the story. And this is Peter strengthening us today. Not just strengthening the brothers in the early church, but us. We're part of this story. You might have thought, man, I'm just living Elgin. I don't matter in what's happening in the Middle East. You are part of the God story. It's an incredible thought. You're the hands and feet of Jesus in this part of the world. You don't have to go to the Middle East to do that. You can wake up on the holy hill. Is that what you call this place? And you can shine brightly for Jesus. Listen, not because you're going to try harder and prove to God, yes, indeed, I love you. Give me another chance at, at telling people who you are. No, but because of a deep dependence on him. There, there, there's no agenda that Peter comes back and says, okay, God, you're right, you're right. All right, well, here's my plan. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I'm going to dedicate 30 minutes now. I'm going to have a journal. I'm going to go to the store and get a journal. And, and God, I'm on this. I got it. I got it. I'm going to fix this. I can do this. I know I can. I, I'm going to go on visitation. I'm going to tell 10 people on the street about you. Lord, I'm serious about you. That, that is not what we're looking for. We're, we're not saved by works, and we're not sanctified by works. We are saved, and we are sanctified by the power of grace, by the power of Christ to change us. That is the gospel. It's that, it's that you realize how sinful you are, and you're utterly dependent on a God who alone can save you. It's the hardest struggle for me in changing has been sort of like I'm a doer. I'm a fixer. I'm an ER doctor. Like if there's a, if there's a pocket of pus, I'm going to drain it. I don't care where it is. People are always like, but just don't poke the eyeball. I'm like, I might come close, you know, and it's just that we want to fix it. And so the hardest struggle has been the, the longer I am in Christ, the more I see who I am, the utter depravity of what I am, and, 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 and the frustration of trying harder doesn't make me better. I've tried it. I've tried it. I've bought journals. I have so many devotional books. I can't. I need a new shelf. It is about abiding. 
Yesterday I got an email, and I'm going to end with this. The four most dangerous words in Scripture, it started not on a fishing boat catching nothing, not at a courtyard warming himself. It started earlier. It started when he thought he was stronger than he was. It started when he thought he was better, that he didn't need help. It started when he said, God, I got this. You do your crucifixion, I'll handle these guys. That might be you today. A little ice cream, a little rice. So how, how, how do I get back? How do I, how do I get back to this? The invitation is already sent. He's already invited you into worship. Your being here is his grace. You didn't come because I'm going to get my life back on track and that's it. That's not how it works. If that's your agenda, you're going to be exhausted in a week if you can last that long. But it's a posture of your pastor modeling it in worship on our knees going, God, I I can't. I, I know what I'll do given to myself. I can't do it. And knowing that I might fail again, but that very Jesus who presents to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He's already established that Jesus, Jesus already established that he loves Peter. He's already died for him. He's already come back even after the denial to meet him, to feed him, to be with him. So Jesus already has proven himself to us on the cross. Now he just invites Peter. He says, do you love me? Now he says, okay, now get on with your life. Feed my sheep. Make it not about you, Peter, but about me. And later, Peter would be crucified on a cross upside down because he says, God forbid I be crucified in the same way of my Savior. I don't deserve that same thing. Put me upside down. So he dies being crucified upside down. He got it. What do you want in your life? I'm not talking about coming to church because it feels good and you're encouraged and you have what what you need for the rest of the week and and you know God is pleased in those moments when we're worshiping, but I mean, what do you want for your marriage, for your finances, for your work story to be? What do you want your story to be? I got this email yesterday and I felt like it was so fitting. This girl sent me an email. She says, Dear Lena, Could you pray for me, maybe? I would be so thankful if you would pray for me. I need a deep encounter with Jesus. All in me longs so much for him. For deep, she capitalizes all, for deep intimacy with him. I really have to know, all caps, our Father and his love for me. I need his healing from my broken heart and my wounded spirit. I need his supernatural intervention, his breakthrough. I want to give everything for Jesus and his kingdom, all for his glory. I want to run boldly for him. I need his fire. I thank you with all my heart for every prayer. I wish you abundant blessing. She's already there you see it she's already there what is the posture of your heart Christian this morning I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment of prayer well there you have it the danger of drifting I pray that this message uh, has stirred you to action and deepened your love for Jesus 
Uh, we are here for you this Christmas season, even though this is our last episode. Uh, we want you to know that there's plenty of resources for you at livingwithpower.org. Also, if you're still shopping for that special person, why don't you stop at shegiveshope.com. That is our online store where every dollar spent will be used to spread hope to the refugees, specifically in the Middle East right now. Uh, we love you and we have enjoyed the season of the Hope Podcast. We'll be back again in the new year. We've got something special planned. And in the meantime, have a Merry Christmas and an awesome new year. We'll be in touch through social media. Go ahead and follow us there if you don't already. And if you've got prayer requests or if you just want to let us know how you're doing, go ahead and email us on our contact page at livingwithpower.org.